You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Dylan Terriman and Alex Barallo. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Jet Nation Radio. This is your host, Alex Barallo, joined with Dylan Terriman. Dylan, how are we doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing great. We've finally made it. It is draft week. We're a little over 24 hours away. We have so many rumors, smoke screens, stuff to, you know, sift through before we get to the final chime of, you know, Commissioner Goodell coming and giving our pick. But it's going to be a fun 24 hours, and it's going to be a fun show tonight. I'm really excited for this one. Absolutely. We finally made it. Tonight's episode is called NFL Draft Week. Um you know, for you South Park fans out there, I felt like Cartman when he was waiting for the Wii. I was, I've been anxious, uh, <laughs> been full of anxiety, and contemplating, you know, freezing myself two weeks ago just so I could be woken up the day of the draft. Um, but, no, seriously, uh, we, we did make it. We're here. We got less than 24 hours. As you said uh, today on Twitter, uh, Dylan, we have one more sleep, and then it's go time. Uh, so we got a loaded show tonight. Um, we're going to try to extend it. Um, normally we do about an hour. We might push to 90 minutes. We have on the clock for two hours in case we need time. Um, you know, we just want to make sure we get everything that we have on our agenda out tonight. And to briefly go through that, uh, we have some new players to talk about that were signed within the last week. We have some rumors to touch on, like you said, Dylan. Uh, we have a trade scenario that we'd like to uh, – you know, talk about tonight. And then furthermore, um, we have a debate, um, which is going to be kind of fun. Um, it's not going to be a long one. It'll be a quick one. But, uh, you know, Dylan and I see eye to eye on most topics for the Jets, I'd say probably 99% of the time. Uh, but we just seem to be at an impasse on this one particular uh, position group that we feel the Jets should go for at pick number four. So uh, that's about as far as I'm going to get into it. And then um, lastly, we're going to touch about uh, the presser that was had uh, the other day. Um, Dylan's got some notes prepared for that. And we're going to put a bow on this episode with our final mock draft and predictions uh, for tomorrow night. Um, So here we go. Let's uh, jump right into this, Dylan. Um, We got a few new players that were put on the board um, one of them was on the team last year, got injured, and we never got to see him. That's Vinny Curry. Um, they also signed a uh, safety linebacker, Marcel Harris. Um, and then we also uh, picked up the fifth-year option on Quinnen Williams. So, Dylan, your thoughts on those top three players. And then uh, we have a fourth player in queue, but we're going to keep the suspense rolling. Yeah, sure. I'll start with Vinny Curry. Uh, you said it a player that they signed last year as a free agent to a one-year deal, uh, basically to be the veteran rotational pass rusher, third-down specialist that's going to be a leader in the locker room, and that's Vinny Curry. And he had the rare uh, heart condition, I believe it was, so he had to sit out all of 2021. I believe it took a surgery or two, if I'm not mistaken, and 
He seems to be cleared, ready to go. He signed another one-year deal with the Jets. They have not reported the terms of the deal as far as I'm concerned. I haven't looked in the last 24 hours, but I believe it's a vet minimum, a one-year deal. It was reported um, when they signed the deal last week that uh, he was exactly that, the, the veteran locker room leadership guy. And John Franklin Myers even came out and said that he's learned so much from Vinnie Curry. So I feel like even if he's not, you know, the best productive player on the field and there's probably an upside player at edge, you could put it over him on a depth chart per se. I think Vinnie Curry from a a leadership standpoint is somebody that will make this room better. Um, Similar to LaMarcus Joyner. It's a player that swung on last year. I wouldn't say they missed, but they just both got injured, missed the whole season. So it's nice that they were able to bring Curry back into the fold. Similar, it's like an extension of the coaching staff, so to speak. And then secondly, they got Marcel Harris, safety linebacker from the 49ers, six-round pick of Florida in 2018. So he'll be 28 when the season starts. Similar to Curry, deal terms have not been reported. My best guess is a low-risk one-year deal, limited guarantees. Uh, Plans to be probably a depth rotational piece. My biggest question was what would they do with uh, Sherwood and Thompson Nasrul Dean, who they drafted last year and converted to linebackers. So maybe a little bit of depth chart chart gymnastics, excuse me, uh, coming for the linebacker position. But Marcel Harris um, was a safety for three years, converted to linebacker had career highs in tackle, sacks, and interceptions last year after transitioning to linebacker. So I think it's a move that benefited both him and the 49ers. So there's also familiarity, obviously, with the coaching staff. So uh, a signing that it's their first linebacker signing of the year. So it's kind of it's, it's kind of silly to think that, like, they think that they're okay at linebacker and, like, this is the move they make. I feel like they need to do a lot more to upgrade the position, but – that's neither here nor there. So Marcel Harris is going to be a rotational piece. And then third, lastly, probably the most important one, one we knew was going to come. Joe Douglas said it at the combine that it was going to happen. It finally happened. Quinnen Williams got his fifth year option. This is for the 2023 season. It is a fully guaranteed contract now with the new CBA. And that's going to be $11.5 million dollars. Um, I was kind of surprised that he was listed as a defensive end on spot rack because I assumed he would be listed as a defensive tackle, which would probably slot him for slightly less money. We saw Ed Oliver make in the 10 million range with his fifth year option. So I was surprised that he was listed as a D end, but nonetheless, uh, he figures to be around the 14th highest paid defensive tackle next year in terms of cap hit. So it's reasonable. He's right in the middle of the pack and that's before any new deals happen. So I think you're getting him at a bargain. He's somebody that hasn't necessarily progressed as fast as we've wanted him to, but he's still young. He's 24. So if he stays healthy in 2022, I see no reason that he wouldn't live up to and exceed that 11 and a half million guaranteed contract. So uh, a good signing, good to keep him in the fold for one more year, and I hope that he is actually a Jet for life because I love Quinn Williams. Good breakdown right there. Um, absolutely agree. <clears throat> really, really excited to see that he's going to be coming back for another year. Uh, the Jets' defensive line is becoming 
uh, one of the more expensive position groups on their salary, uh, which is quite interesting. I believe uh, probably next in line is the uh, offensive line, um, as there has been a lot of money allocated uh, to the free agent market, and uh, we've got a couple first-rounders on the books as well. Um, so they're pretty much, you know, guaranteed uh, majority of the, those contracts as well. So, yeah, the, the Jets have heavily invested into the trenches, and, uh, and a lot of people create their blueprint, um, you know, for their roster. And uh, when you hit right, usually uh, your team is pretty good. So um, let's just hope that all of these, you know, position moves that they're making uh, work out for the, you know, the best-case scenario here. So uh, the last on Jets roster news here, um, yesterday I had a crazy day. I um, was unable to get any updates for a few hours, and I come back to Twitter and find out that the Jets signed Bilal Powell for a one-day contract to honor his retirement. And uh, we wanted to uh, you know, just take a moment to talk about how awesome of a player Bilal was and uh, someone that, you know, I definitely would say he wasn't the rah-rah guy, but as far as being someone who was humble and a good teammate and, you know, no matter what the Jets did, he was always very supportive. Um, You know, he's just a stand-up guy. Um, Glad he was a Jet. Um, You know, I kind of wish that things worked out a little bit differently for him, but all in all, he was definitely an asset for our team and, uh, you know, wish him well um, for his – you know, whatever comes ahead of him for the future. Uh, Dylan, any thoughts on Bilal Pal? Yeah, I think he hit the nail on the head there as far as the type of character he was. He was somebody that came to work every day, not to use like all the cliches, the lunch pail guy, but he really just kept his mouth shut and whenever he needed to make a play, it seemed like he always delivered. He ended up with 3,600 career, career rushing yards, but 1,600 receiving yards and five touchdowns as well, so 20 total touchdowns in his career. And I saw, I forget who tweeted it out, but said that he was the longest tenured Jet for his nine years mm-hmm. for a fourth-round player. So the fact that he's a day-three pick and is able to have such a long career and put up pretty decent numbers considering the fact that the Jets always seem to bring in a, a running back mate so to speak with him I know he was there with Chris Ivory for a little bit and other running backs so I like Bilal Powell he's a great guy I tweeted it out I'm happy that he's going to be a Jet for life I think it was a great move for both sides so you know you just like to see little things like that that they remember the players and you know reward them for for their their duties so to speak absolutely yeah I mean you know, he was always there. He was always part of the mix with our running back groups. Um, always had to deal with competition, um, bringing in, you know, free agent running backs, you know, every year, whether it was, you know, Crowell or Chris Ivory or Le'Veon Bell. Um, you know, in, in the Gase era, he was buried too. So, um, but he never complained. And, uh, like you said, he came to work every day and, uh, just one of those guys that you could just definitely look up to and um glad that he was one of ours. Mm-hmm. But um all right, so that was uh you know, ending on a on a good note right there for our first segment. But now we're gonna have to get into uh the grittiness that is the, the rumors and smoke screens and sources from here and there. 
And what, what I'm alluding to here is we're going to talk about all these rumors that have been circulating with the Jets and a particular player named Debo Samuel. Um, it is quite amazing to see how many uh, people who are verified on Twitter, uh, like, you know, my sources says that, you know, they're offering a first and a second and a third and Elijah Moore. Um, if you want to see somebody's fresh hot takes, go to YouTube and check out Glenn Naughton. Um, he's got some uh, burning thoughts about uh, Makai Becton and, and the Debo Samuel rumors and some other things like that. Um, really, really crazy. I'll be honest with you, Dylan. Um, I never get my hopes up with these scenarios. And, you know, you and I are on the same page here. We think Debo's great. We'd love to have him here. Um, but I'm a little nauseous with with all this stuff that's going you know, back around and, you know, everyone's all but, you know, penciling him in and making jersey edits and trying to connect dots and, you know, counts are making fake information to try to get, you know, more followers or whatever. I just don't like the fact that the Jets are, you know, being used as a pawn here to, you know, um, for other people just to, you know, boost their own, uh, I guess, you know, uh, status. So, um, but your thoughts on, on the Debo situation here, you know, for me, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm over it, I guess I could say. Yeah, and full transparency, I just want to say Debo Samuel is my favorite non-Jets player in the entire NFL. So, of course, I'm going to be right there, head spinning, just absolutely you know, I'm at the point where I can't sleep at night because I'm so excited. No, it's not that serious. But it, it's kind of getting to the point where, yeah, can we just either, A, get to the draft and we either take the 10th overall pick and use it on a rookie at whatever position it is, or can we just get to the point where the trade happens? I feel like at this point half of most social media apps are like, oh, yeah, Devo is a jet. Like, it's fine. Just pencil that in. Niners are going to pick 10th overall, and I think that's completely silly. Um, the Niners haven't really uh, moved the needle as far as, like, oh, we want to trade Debo. Obviously, John Lynch spoke the other day and said that he could never see a scenario moving on from a Debo, and then it seemed like the door might be open. And even if it is open, they still have contractual obligations over Debo. So it's just a whole scenario that the media – seems to just throw the Jets' name out there. Yeah, they've been rumored with all the other wide receivers, and they were actually in on Tyreek Hill up until the very end. But I, th- I think they just take the Jets and, oh, wide receiver, just throw the Jets out there, and hopefully it sticks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of Twitter's going to run with it. So it- it's getting a little boring um, at this point. I would just hope it happens or doesn't. I'm at the point where probably like 65% it doesn't happen, 35% it does happen. And I think that's even a little optimistic. So, yeah, as much as we love Devo Samuel, we think he'd be great. He'd probably make this an above-average offense, at, like even if he didn't like show up and live up to all the expectations the Jets fans are already putting on him. I think he'd be an above-average wide receiver position. And if you just looked at all the skill position players on this offense, I feel like it's, it's better than most in the league. I'm not going to put a number on it, but – if that were to be the case, I think the Jets would be sitting really pretty, even if it meant giving up the 10th pick. But, yeah, I'm kind of with you. Let's just uh, get it over with. Either either it happens or it doesn't. But it's just – it's like put, banging my head against the wall, trying to 
anticipate all this, get hyped up, and then we just get so disappointed at the end of it. Like, it, it's bad enough that my okay. wife's even like, hey, you're going to get disappointed. I'm like, I know I'm going to get disappointed, but, you know, till the very <laughs> end, I'm there. So, hey, let's bring on right. Debo or let's not. But, hey, we're going to get a wide receiver somehow. Yeah, you know, that's just kind of how I see it. Um, if trade talks, you know, ramp up overnight, I think it would be a little bit crazy and you'd have to reformulate your entire draft plan overnight because um, Lord knows what kind of compensation mm-hmm. you have to offer San Francisco to, to bring that player. So now your entire board has to change. Um you know, where you have particular players. I know the BPA thing is what they do, and, and you know, that's that's the model that they're willing to share with the media on how they go about the draft. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if you were looking at the first 50 picks and you've ranked your players as such, and then you end up trading a first, a second, and a third, now you really have to scrutinize your your BPA on your big board and then you have to look at your roster and say, okay, you've just given up X amount of picks for this one player. Now we really, really have to be sure that we don't reach or, you know, that we go out we get this guy so that our roster is balanced and competitive. I think it creates a lot more pressure, um, you know, but that's what they're supposed to do. That's what these guys do for a living. So um, they should be able to adjust to it. I just think that you've had an ample amount of time to get this deal done, and, uh, you know, here we are, you know, about, you know, almost 25, 26, uh, under 26 hours until um, the uh, draft kicks off. And, uh, you know, nothing seems to be in place at the moment. So it's interesting. You and I both would love to have him here. Um, not sure if a King Ransom is, is going to be the best thing for this team's future. So, mm-hmm. uh you know, I just can't – I can't see it um, is more or less what I'm saying here. But uh, while we're talking about um, possible trades and things like that, um, Dylan and I came up with this idea uh, because on day one and day two, Joe Douglas and company have been pretty aggressive, and when they see an opportunity like a player that is sliding um, down the draft board that they have ranked, you know, everybody's um, draft boards are different. Um, Each team's needs are different. So there's, you know, the best player available approach, but there's also team need specifics. Like for instance, you know, um, a quarterback is one of the higher position values. It does not mean that the Jets need to take quarterback, you know, at a particular spot because we already have Zach Wilson there. So um, what we were thinking is that, Joe Douglas might be looking at a player and with those two second round picks, which, you know, as according to the uh, trade point uh, system, um, the Jets could easily use both those second round picks and jump back into the, you know, the mid range of the draft, let's say anywhere between 15 to 20, 15 to 25 range. Um, and we just wanted to go out there and say, if the Jets were to make a, a move, and come back into the first round, who would we think that they would go for? Um, and I'll just start it off right now. Um, in my scenario here, I believe the Jets are going to do one of two things. They're going to take 
two defensive players at four and ten uh, to get their defense where they where Robert Salad needs it to be. And then there's also the more balanced approach where the Jets go for an offensive lineman and possibly an edge or a corner at pick 10. And then we know that the next biggest need on this team or this roster would be wide receiver. So in the event that the Jets decide to either go defensive heavy or, you know, lineman and edge, I really think that they're going to come back into the first round for a wide receiver and the wide receiver that I think that they should and that they could possibly target would be Chris Olave from Ohio State. Uh, you know, anybody that has seen his film knows that he is a big-time playmaker, um, racked up a bunch of yards and touchdowns in Ohio State. Um, the route running, the separation factor, taking the top off the defense, he brings all of those things um, to the table. And if you were to put him in with our specific group of wide receivers here, I think he would really, really uh, propel our passing game. And uh, I believe that if the Jets are going to come back in, I think it would be for a player like Chris Olave. How do you see it, Dylan? Yeah, I really like that one because I don't necessarily think it would take both second-round picks to come up to target somebody in the range of a Chris Olave, say the 20s range. So I do like that a lot. Um, I have two two little scenarios here. Uh, first one is probably the least likely to make fans happy, and that's going O-line at four and wide receiver at 10, and then they use their two second-round picks to come up, maybe even one, and they come up and select edge rusher Boye Mafe. Um, I think they're going to need an edge player sooner or later. Uh, we've talked about double dipping at 35 and 38 if need be at an edge rusher, but I think we're kind of both in the – they should probably take one at four or ten. So if they don't get one, they could come up for Mafe. And then my second strategy would be if they did take edge at four, again, sticking with wide receiver at ten, they could come up and uh, trade some picks up and get Daxton Hill. Um, it's a safety slash cornerback, I guess you could say. So – Realistically, if they feel they have a need at corner, which most fans do, then they can use him in a corner role. And for me personally, I think safety is a huge need on this defense, specifically not just when you look at the Jets roster, but Robert Sala's defense as a whole. Um, so Dax Hill could come in and play a safety role for you. So a little bit of, you know, filling two needs with one player, so to speak. But I think what we have lined out there, wide receiver, edge, potentially DB should be the, the target position groups to come up with. And I think it's realistic. It's possible. It should happen. I, I think I've mocked plenty of times where they come up and trade for multiple different types of players just to see how the board falls. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of this and I would advocate for this on draft day if it happened. Right on. Um, yeah. I, you know, and then this, um, We'll bring up a good point because I know that you have some notes written in about um, draft trends and things like that, and I do want to get to that. Um, but before we, we get into that specific one, um, let's hop into this uh, quick debate um, about pick number four on where we think mm-hmm. that we can go. And then after we can do after we do that, um, you can go ahead and destroy my take by um, – um, hitting us with your draft trend notes that you've uh, 
compiled some really, really good research here, folks, that Dylan has done. Um, I must say your attention to detail is quite exquisite, my friend. But um, let's let's get into this debate real quick. And um, to give the uh, listeners some, some insight here, uh, we've been talking about, um, you know, the needs of this roster. We've been talking about what's the best-case scenario, where should the Jets go with their first two uh, first-round picks, um, you know, we've hammered home scenarios where they go offense. We've hammered where they go into, de- you know, um, doubling up on defense. We've talked about being balanced in offense and defense. But with this pick specifically at four, what it really comes down to is I am uh, – I can understand um, your your side of it um, because, I, you know, what's going on here is our debate is mainly against – the offensive line position and me leaning more on to the defensive side um, where I think that the Jets should target either an edge or a cornerback at pick number four. And Dylan, you seem to lead a little bit more specifically onto the offensive line. Um, specifically, um, Icky, Ikem uh, Akunwa, and I'm looking more at a uh, Kevon Thibodeau and a Sauce Gardner, obviously, um, if you've been listening to this show long enough for the last few weeks, you know that I'm all about sauce. Um, so, Dylan, um, let's get it out here. Uh, please let me know and our fans know um, why you think the Jets should go offensive line at pick number four. Yeah, so much like you, I can definitely understand a scenario where it doesn't go exactly how I'm about to lay it out because there are so many needs on this team, first and foremost. Um, But just, you know, reading the tea leaves, so to speak, of what our general manager and head coach like, and this is going to be their second draft together. So, again, a small sample size of what it is. I just – everything we hear is a trench player. So, to me, um, I I have a short list of players here. I have Ika McQuanu as my 1A player. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is my 1B player. Uh, Jermaine Johnson as technically the number two player. And then Saucer Hamilton as my number three. So realistically, I could see a scenario where any of these happen. Uh, I just, every time they talk, it's always about developing the quarterback, developing Zach Wilson, helping make sure that he can sustain a progressive, productive career in New York. So obviously – I can kind of cross Sauce and Hamilton off as much as it pains me to do it because they're both top five players on my board as far as just tape evaluation. They're locks for top five for me, so it hurts to take them off my list. But I just zone in on those offense or defensive line positions. And to me, I just have to think Ike and McQuanu, I'm going to, you know, pound the table for this guy above the other two because – I'm so nervous about Makai, and I know that I could catch flack for this on Twitter. I'm okay with it. I have before. But (laughs) the sad reality with the Jets is it's a believe-it-until-you-see-it franchise. My friends last year, when we'd bet sports books in New Jersey, we'd be like, hey, like, what's up with the Jets? Should we take them plus three and a half against, you know, whoever? I'm like, honestly, no. Just believe it when you see it. Once they actually start churning out wins and productive games and close football games, then you can look at it. But believe it till you see it. And with Mekhi Becton, 
that's kind of where I sit. I love that he's training with Duke Manyweather. I think Duke is one of the best offensive line trainers in the entire country. He has tons of productive players under him, you know, currently and in the past. So that, that part doesn't worry me. It's the part that he can just seems to never keep his weight down. And I understand injury and rehab. I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor and say, he should be at this weight or whatever it is, but it just, the optics outside looking in scare me to death with Mackay Becton. And I love his potential. I, I'm not going to, you know, sit here and be like, Oh, I wanted a different offensive tackle in the draft. Even if it was true, I don't really care because I love Mackay, the player, the person. I love the fact that he's embracing the, the, the big bust 77 on Twitter. I love all that. Like I want him to feed into this and come back out and, look like he's really killed it this off season, but unfortunately it's just a believe it until you see it type of world for me. And knowing that we can't get some of these questions until after the draft makes me just say, Hey, go with Icom, let the rest pan itself out. Whether it's a, a fan trade, a, a, a Beckton trade, whatever it takes, you know, just, I feel like it'll all sort itself out. Joe Douglas likes three offensive tackles. Um, obviously there's the smoke about Jermaine Johnson, and just the edge group as a whole, maybe Aiden Hutchinson could potentially be there now at four, the way these things are breaking down the last 72 hours. So it's, it's all, it's all good. I feel like there's many different scenarios they could go where I would certainly be happy and excited about the pick. I just think Icom to me is the person that would, you know, send me to the moon as far as the pick. So that's why I had to choose him. Yep. Yep. And, um, you know, I'm basically going to be repeating, you know, some of the things that I said in last week's show um, when I was talking a bit about the, you know, offensive tackle position. Uh, I will be fine if we go with Icky at four, uh, but there's an exception to, to this draft pick here. And uh, my opinion is that the Jets need to uh, part ways with George Fant and see what kind of – draft commodity that you could acquire for him either, you know, day three or possibly into the 2023 uh, draft and start building um, up next year's draft picks. Um, The main reason that I I feel that they should do that route is because the Jets have an option um, to pick up Mekhi Becton's fifth year uh, as he is a first rounder. I think that is very lucrative and that helps you maintain um, your budget keep your blue chip players. Um, I'm also looking at George Fant being 30 years old. He'll be 31 next year. He's going to be looking for at least, you know, a two to three year deal. He's currently making around 10 to 11 million this year. So he's probably going to be looking for something comparable to that. And uh, I, you know, it's interesting because I think a couple of hours ago, Connor Hughes put out a tweet that, um, Apparently, there's some contract extension talk going on with George Fant, so that really, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, poo-poos my take here and supports your side of the debate a little bit further. Um, You know, throwing it all out there. I know I'm against all odds here. Uh, We keep it real on uh, Jet Nation Radio. So, you know, again, I, I do feel that it's not exactly a step backwards, but it's more of a lateral move. And it also makes you sure. very, very concerned with Joe Douglas and company. Um, you know, if you got the pick wrong with Makai Becton, 
and you want to get out of Dodge as quickly as possible, then yes. Go for the offensive lineman, whether it's Neil or Icky. We're specifically talking about Icky right now. Um, and then, yeah, you're going to have to either extend George Fant and hope that his play continues um, to be as good as it was last year. And mind you, um, last year was his first real opportunity for more than a handful of games to play at the left uh, tackle position. He only had a few of those games under his belt when he was with Seattle. He acquired the position due to injury, just like he did with the Jets, something that I mentioned last year, completely different scenario to where in training camp as of last year, he was a little behind everybody, mainly due to Fant's COVID situation, but it was Becton and Morgan Moses. And in, when Makai Becton got hurt, that's when things, you know, worked out toward his favor. You know, ironically for him and the team, he puts his best performance, um, got one of his highest grades uh, from PFF for his, uh, for his blocking ability. Um, I have it written down here as a 71 grade last year. Um, and again, that was his, that, that's him at his peak. So can George Fant repeat and continue um, and have that as much success as he had in 2021 and 2022? That's the big factor here. If you go back and you look at Becton's 2020 season, um, when he was at his healthiest, um, he ended up having uh, a 78.3 PFF grading. And some people hold PFF as gospel. I don't, but um, they do have – they're one of the few analytics that out there that you'll find with grading players on a week-to-week and a, and a season performance basis. Um, he was penciled with at 78 on the, on the pass pro, and then on, in the run game he was at 72.4. So his numbers are slightly better in 2020 than uh, Fant's 2021 season. Now, obviously, Fant only allowing one sack and about 18 pressures, very, very good numbers. Um, definitely a case to be made to keep him. But I think about the long-term aspect, I think about the age, and I also think about the, the advantage that the Jets would have by keeping Makai Becton. I just remember, you know, watching him in Louisville, you know, burying bodies, ragdolling guys, throwing them off the TV screen to where, you know, they're in another universe. And he comes right into the pros, and he does the exact same things that we saw in college to where he's taking – you know, as Glenn said in his YouTube video, grown men nearly 250, 275, 300 pounds against their will and taking them off the ground and burying them. You don't see a lot of that, and especially coming from a rookie. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to call him Mount Becton. Um, I don't know um, how we got here, but we are here. And, you know, you're either supporting of him or you're not. And um, I'm not saying that you're not supportive of Makai Becton, um, right, I know yeah. that, you know, Icky is one of your top guys. And when you look at the film, how would you not want a player like that on your team? You know, he's a mauler, he's physical, he beats people down. Um, and that's, that's what we need on the offensive line. That's what we need to protect Zach Wilson because year in and year out, we find our quarterbacks getting injured because of poor offensive line play. Um, so I'm all about Icky and Becton combo for 2022. I'm just not sure if I'm uh, as on board mm-hmm. 
for Icky and Fant because Fant seems like, you know, he wants to play left tackle and then we're going to use a number four pick and then move that guy to the right side or put him in the competition with Fant and then possibly have Fant lose the left tackle position to go back to right tackle. I think it creates a lot of drama, um, and I see it as a lateral move rather mm-hmm. than a progressive move. Um, but this could be our reality, and, um, you know, I might have to eat my words here. Um, that's completely possible because the Jets are unpredictable. Um, but, yeah, this is just going to be one of those scenarios, uh, Dylan, where um, we, we have an understanding from where we're coming from. Um, you know, I feel right now uh, with the Jets – having let up 500-plus points last season, um, defense is the biggest need. Um, You know, you look at the injury to Carl Lawson, we're hoping he comes back at full strength. You know, he he tore his Achilles. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. if we're going to get the same guy that we thought we were going to get. And I think that's one reason why the edge position might be the priority. And I also look at the cornerback position, and I think, hmm, you know, a couple of these guys that are on the roster – were part of the Greg Williams regime. Greg Williams was let go, and now we bring in Robert Sala, who's the head coach, and he's the one that's controlling our defense. Um, and who's to say that, you know, if Bryce Hall is the type of guy that he wants, maybe he wants to bring in his own talent um, and bring in a guy like Sauce or, you know, Derek Stingley Jr. or McDuffie, you know, somebody of that nature. So um, we all know that, you know, coaches absorb players, and they don't always have to put them, put them on the field. Um, you know, we saw Denzel Mims, you know, clearly like, you know, we had mentioned um, on our chat board today, there may have been some Gase influence with the style of offense that they were running. Now we bring in LaFleur. <laughs> that may not be the type of receiver that he wants on his, um, you know, in his starting 11. And we just assume because of his draft position that he deserves the spot automatically. So, you know, things can change in a heartbeat. Um, with this here, but um, to get back to the debate here, I'm feeling more like edge or cornerback should be where we should go, and I completely agree and understand where you're coming from with the um, the offensive line position here. Any final thoughts um, on this um, topic before we uh, move on, Dylan? Yeah, I just had two quick points circling back to Fant real quick. Um, also yeah. in the news today, another – left tackle got paid in extension. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars extended their left tackle, Cam Robinson. They franchise tagged him earlier on in the offseason, and they came to an extension, which was three years, $54 million, which is $18 million per year. And you mentioned it earlier, Fant was playing for about 10 or $11 million this year, and he's most likely going to want more considering the uptick in production he had in 2021. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not sure if I'm willing to pay George Fant $18 million and draft Ike McQuanu. So I understand that logic completely. Um, but mm. at the same time, if you're going to give me the worst case scenario is we have Ike at left tackle, Mackay Becton at right tackle and George Fant as a swing tackle, I, you know, I'm okay paying a little bit of a premium on George Fant. I just hope that the, the cap numbers for 2023, and 2024 wouldn't be so substantial that we couldn't overcome it. Because to me, Ika McQuanu is the best tackle on the Jets if they draft him. And that is with the Mackay Beckton being 100% healthy. I, I fully believe that. I 
I subscribe to that thinking. He's my number one player. You mentioned he's high on my board. He is my number one player, higher than Kayvon Thibodeau, and that took a lot for me to do that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I just think there there really is no wrong answer at four. It's just a matter of where my happiness meter is. And honestly, if it's sauce, I'm I'm so cool with that. I know it doesn't – I've been saying they're not going to take a DB that high, but even if it right. is sauce, like – I'm through the roof, like I'm jumping for joy because you close off one third of the field and say, "Hey, come try to attack us right. over here." And Brandon Eccles will yep. still pick it off. So I'm excited either way. I think there could be pretty much no wrong answer at four right now. Yeah, you know, and you know, I'm the same person. Um, when you, Glenn, and I were um, having to chat about the defensive line saying how many more defensive linemen can we possibly put on this roster? You know, we had a good right. eight or nine guys right off the bat. And then you go and let's say you take, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau from, uh, you know, as your number four pick and you add another um, edge guy, you know. So with his, uh, you know, that addition, there's got to be a subtraction where someone, you know, that we think is a potential 53, um, you know, a guy on the 53 could possibly be let go because we bring in another player at that particular group. So, um, you know, if they go to the trenches, it's going to create, um, you know, an issue for somebody. Um, And, you know, that's pretty obvious. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting. And, you know, when I look at the depth of the cornerbacks, you know, DJ Reed, Bryce Hall, Brandon Eccles, Michael Carter II, and then you got James Hardy who – is listed as a cornerback, but he's really a special teamer, and there's no way we ever want to see yeah. him um, lining up with the starting 11. Um, mm-hmm. Make disrespect to him because he is, like, one of the biggest rah-rah guys. He's recruiting on Twitter, like, every day. Oh, he's great. Um, he believes in this brand. I mean, you really got to like everything that James Hardy brings to the table from a roster perspective and a locker room guy and having being the captain of the special teams and, and taking pride in what he does. So I definitely respect that. Just not going to be comfortable, if, you know, if he's out there, you know, in a starting quarter position. So, um, yeah. you know, out of the three groups here, I think you can really, really say, you know, Becton, Fant, George Knott, Connor McDermott, Chuma Doga, outside of Becton and Fant, really, really not um, a very, very uh, <laughs> super talented group there. So, again, it really, really does build a case for, um, where you're leading to, which is the Jets should probably go for the offensive line position at four. So um, just a quick, with quick question, said, real quick, because I know um, we touched we yeah, touched yeah. on O line heavy and DB heavy. If they were to go with an edge player, and I'll give you a scenario: say Trayvon Walker's one, Aiden Hutchinson's two, and somebody goes to Houston at three. We'll just say Sauce, and then you have mm-hmm. Thibodeau and Jermaine Johnson at four. There's been all that buzz about Jermaine Johnson. You know, the Jets love him. He could be the pick even over Thibodeau. If that was the scenario and you had Thibodeau and Jermaine Johnson staring you at the face, who who were you taking between those two? I mean, I think it's obvious here where, where I lean to. I'm, I'm a Jermaine Johnson guy. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people would be like, you're crazy to take him at four. He'll be there at 10. Nobody knows that. Um Right. And if he does end up being the best pass rusher out of everybody, people will say, remember the time the Jets passed on Jermaine Johnson when they could have had him at four, you know, 
We've seen that plenty of times mm-hmm. with this team. And, and, you know, people play devil's advocate and love to, you know, go back in time and say, well, we did that. We could have done this. But, um, yeah, that that's a tough one for me. You know, uh, he was on my favorite list as well. So, uh, clearly, um, you know, my fanhood leads me toward Jermaine Johnson. Um, I think the Jets are probably they're, – they're very interested in Jermaine, but probably at the 10 spot. Um, and I do have a mm-hmm. feeling that if it was between those two particular players, I think the Jets go for Thibodeau. Um, and, you know, you're splitting hairs here with, you know – uh, one guy, probably more of a defensive lineman and a pass rusher in Thibodeau to where you get a little bit more of a hybrid to where, you know, Jermaine Johnson could give you some reps at, at linebacker as well and then also give you an occasional pass rush. So I like the mm-hmm. aspect. The more you can do for the team, the higher value I'll put you on my personal board. And that's why I would go for Jermaine Johnson. Jeff will probably do the Thibodeau. Um Good question, though. You put me in a pinch there, buddy. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I lean the opposite. I lean Thibodeau. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the reasoning is pretty similar. I mean, I think Thibodeau and Johnson are the two best run defenders of the top four edge yeah. guys. I don't think Trayvon Walker and Aiden Hutchinson provide as much upside in the run game as Thibodeau and Johnson. And they talked about it on NFL Live earlier today. Um, just comparing the four, who has the highest ceiling, and it was Jermaine Johnson. Like, almost unanimous across the panel was Jermaine Johnson had the highest uh, floor. And I believe that. I wholeheartedly, Mm. I mean, this guy went from Juco to Georgia to Florida State, showed out at all three stops, and then had an incredible senior bowl. was like, you know, men against boys at the senior bowl type of thing. So I totally agree. Um, I think, though, in the same, same thought, Thibodeau has the highest, ceiling and he can you know be way better than all these pass rushers could be if he puts it all together I really feel like there's again no no wrong answer there it's just a a matter of do they want a guy who they feel is closer to his capped potential wise you know or do they want a guy that they think they can you know get exponentially more out of so either way I yeah I hope that they would lean Jermaine Johnson more so at ten, but there's no guarantee that he's going to be there at ten. Any one of those teams could take him, starting at the Giants at, at five or seven, even honestly. So yeah, I think this would be the best case scenario: get Walker, get Hutchinson out of the picture, and just choose between these two edge rushers. I think that would probably be the most efficient way to break it down for me. Right on. Okay, Dylan, so um, we're getting to that part of the show um, where we are going to your exquisite notes here, and uh, we've got two top – you have two topics on the board here, um, one being Joe Douglas and Rex Hogan's press conference from the other day and then the Jets' draft trend. So I'm going to leave it to you to decide which topic you want to go with first. Um, and, yeah, the floor is yours. Sure, I'll go with the the press conference first because I feel like some of the notes and quotes can be applied to the thinking in the next segment. So, uh, yeah, right Joe Douglas and Rex Hogan had a press conference with the media. They also had a sit-down with Eric Allen. Uh, I, I tried to jot down as much as I could. I'm not going to share all 11 or 12 bullet points that I have, but I think certain one of these are a little bit more important. Uh, starting off with the interview with Eric Allen, Rex Hogan said that, their, their draft board in the war room 
consists of their top 150 players ranked specifically for the Jets. And I thought that that was really intriguing because, you know, there's 700 players that are draft eligible this cycle specifically coming out of the COVID years and with the weird uh, college eligibility. So there's so many players available in the talent pool. So for the Jets to narrow it down to 150 specifically picked players, I think is super intriguing to me because you know that they're narrowing it down before they even get to the draft and then it gets narrowed down naturally. So I'm not going to say they're putting themselves in a hole, but they know what they like and they're going to attack what they see. And maybe less is more from this standpoint. We've seen some good teams in the past, historically good franchises use smaller draft boards instead of compiling three, 400 names. They, they, you know, less is more from that aspect. So I thought that was cool. And then the second thing Mm. from that interview specifically, Joe Douglas was uh, asked if he could, engage in trade talks at the four or the 10 position. And his exact quote was, we'll see. You never know when we made trades in the draft, it was a discussion made while on the clock. And to me, that's, you know, that's not red flags, but that's like, you know, sirens going off in my head. Like, Hey, when they traded up for ABT, they didn't really plan for it. It was a situation where, Hey, our player is falling we can get up to this position should we go do it. And I like the fact that they're, you know, not necessarily premeditating these trade-ups and they come sort of naturally. So I thought that was really important because we thought that they were going to take ABT last year. We knew that they liked them. Him and Zach Wilson were mocked to them like numerous times, but 23 was such a hard spot to get to. So I'm glad that they went up and got their guy. I'm even, you know, happier that, it's, it's a spur-of-the-moment thing, too, which makes it even cooler. Um, and then going into the media press conference, this was the first uh, – they said at their opening statement, this is the first um, draft cycle that Joe Douglas has been here, and I think Rex Hogan's been here, that they both um, – they were able to have the 30 visits physically in one Jets drive in the facility touring the buildings because COVID the last two years. So I think that's really important that they were able to get the physical face-to-face with the players. And I believe it was circulating that there's a basketball hoop in the one room where they had all the prospects go and you can make of that what you will. But I think that's cool that they're, you know, like, Hey, we're, you know, going to be a little laxed here on these meetings and not be so buttoned up and professional like the NFL loves to be. So I thought that was cool. Um, when it came to the wide receiver class, Rex Hogan was asked specifically about Drake London not participating in the drills and running the 40. And I think he shed a lot of good light about their process with players with injury. Um, I'm going to you know, paraphrase here, but he basically said it's an individual basis type of thing. They have analytics guys that make projections based off their models and their scouts in terms of their eyes, what they see on tape, they kind of marry the two things. So it's a lot of, you know, projection based with injuries. But I I think for the most part, they feel confident from a standpoint where they're not going to, you know, take a guy off their board just because he's injured. They're going to do more research. They're going to try to figure it out. And with um, Drake London specifically, he's not the only wide receiver injured, but Drake London, I believe it was an ankle injury. So that's something 
more to monitor, in my opinion, more so than Jamison Williams, who had an ACL. And the team, the Jets have invested so much money in injury science, and their medical team has been, you know, doing all the numbers behind Achilles and ACL injuries that they're trying to limit it, and it has been limited over the last few years. Sala admitted that that they've been making good progress on it, but I just think the fact that, you know, medical used to be a complete red flag, no-go with these guys, and now with medicine and technology, they're kind of making it easier to come back from injury one, be the same type of Mm -hmm. person, and feel better drafting somebody in that spot. So if they do like a Drake London or Jamison Williams at 10, I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of London, I'll admit it, but like I can understand the logic there because they are difference makers at what they do at the wide receiver position. So cool that they, they took right. it from the injury angle. Um, let's see what else we got here. Joe Douglas, where he thought the Jets were currently. Um, I, I touched on this earlier. He said when you break it down, you keep the main thing, the main thing. It's going to be about developing and helping our young quarterback. Outside of that, it's about adding as many difference makers as you can to the roster. And then probably the third and most important thing is keeping those guys healthy, keeping them on the field as long as we can. So to me, as you're listening to the interview, I didn't put these chronologically, but this was one of the first questions. And immediately my mind was like, oh, keeping players healthy, like, developing the quarterback, my mind immediately went straight back to Ike McQuanu. And I'm like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. like, this is easy. The Jets are going to take Aquanu, whatever. And then he gets into the top-tier edge, and somebody asked him about coming away with the top-tier edge. And he says, from the D-line position perspective, it's an attack front, really getting off the ball, disrupting the offense, disrupting the quarterback, disrupting the pocket, and that's huge for our scheme. So, now I'm right back to, oh, shoot, are they going to take edge? Are they going to take O-line? So he did a good job of hiding exactly what they're going to do. But you can really pinpoint the two, three position groups that they're really going to, you know, try to tackle early because they were asked about them, and it was offensive line, defensive line, and cornerback. So the other one I thought was cool, this will be the last one I touch on in the press conference, was for being a – uh, best player available approach or a position of need. And his exact quote, Joe Douglas's, was, I think you get into trouble if you're breaking it up by position of need. I think you have to take the best player available. And then uh, his former uh, mentor, so to speak, Ozzie Newsom from the Baltimore Ravens, had a quote that is a luxury today can be a ne- necessity tomorrow. And he said, if you get away from your board, I think that's when you get into a real jam. So now my mind flipped back to Ike McQuanu. and like, hey, yeah, it, it would be a luxury on day one of the draft if on paper we took Ike McQuanu and had Beckton or whatever. But it makes sense in the long-term trajectory, 22, uh, 2023-2024 season, it would make sense. So he did a lot of flip-flopping of my own brain. Maybe I'm reading a little too much into these press conferences I know there's not too much we can take away from them overall but I think he hammered home the fact that he wants to help Zach Wilson whether that's keeping him upright or making sure that the opposing quarterbacks are not upright and that's the two biggest takeaways I had from it so it goes back to our discussion we just had at the debate like Mm -hmm. any position almost any player would be cool 
but I think there's certain positions where they're going to look to go first. And that leads us into the draft trends segment. Now, Jets fans are well aware he's a great follow on Jets Twitter. He does a ton of great analytic work. And Michael Mania put out a tweet sometime last week, maybe even the week before, uh, breaking down some tendencies that Joe Douglas had. And he said that 17 of the 19 Joe Douglas draft picks, so that's 2020 and 2021 draft classes combined, 17 of 19 had at least one of these criteria, and that was a 7.5 RAF score, which is relative athletic score, which is a gel of all your measurables and testing broken down into a historical data point. It's a great, um, great website by MathBomb on Twitter if anybody wants to check that out. So 7.5 or higher RAF score, or they were a team captain in college. 17 of 19, and the only two exceptions were Ashton Davis, who was hurt at the combine and didn't test, so they don't have full numbers on him to give him a complete RAF score, and Jamie and Sherwood, I believe, is the other one, and he had a very low RAF score, but he was also being converted from safety to linebacker, so it could be a little tweaked based off his position change. So I look at those two data points, and I added a third tweak a little wrinkle for the 2022 season and I wanted to look at also senior bowl players so a high RAF score potential team captain in college or a senior bowl player because obviously the Jets coach the senior bowl and they're going to have a better understanding of those players as opposed to the ones that they haven't met before obviously and when you look at the, the positions that Joe Douglas has drafted over the last two seasons uh, I, it's, again, a very small sample size. But positions he's drafted multiple of were offensive line and wide receiver. I looked at offensive line. You have Makai Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker, both first-round picks, and then Cam Clark, fourth-round pick, obviously no longer with the team, an unfortunate injury. So I looked at all three of those, and I, I tried to find a common ground between all three of them. And I came up with, they were all six four and a half, three hundred and eight pounds minimum. So we'll just say six four three oh five. They had thirty two inch arms or more. They ran a sub five three forty. And I know five three sounds really high, but Makai Becton wasn't the one that ran the five three, it was Cam Clark. So it would probably be mm. closer like five one, five one, five forty. And then an above average to an elite bench, um, Mackay benched 23, Vera Tucker 36, and Cam Clark 26. So when you add those to all, all those data points with an elite RAS score, I got a handful of offensive tackles in this draft that really makes sense for the Jets. And one, two, three, four, five, six of the eight names that I'm about to name were at the Senior Bowl. So you take all those data points into consideration. You take in the fact that the Jets had a week to spend with them in film rooms, practices, you know, a game scenario. And the, the eight names I have here are, no surprise, Ika McQuanu, uh, Central Michigan tackles Luke Godecki and Bernard Raymond, Zion Johnson, who was on the Jets. Uh, all, th all three of these guys that I just named were on the Jets senior bowl team. You have Cam Jurgens, center from Nebraska, 
uh, Trevor Penning, tackle from Northern Iowa, also on the Senior Bowl team, and then Cole Strange, who was a guard from Chattanooga. And all these guys fit every single one of those criteria points. So I think, obviously, I just talked for five minutes about how they should draft Ika McQuanu. Obviously, I see that there's names that aren't round one names. Obviously, like Gadecki, uh, Abraham Lucas, potentially Bernard Ryman. These are all offensive tackles who might not be first-round picks. But I think the fact that Ika McQuanu is on this list just kind of fuels it more for me to say, hey, like this is this is an unusual player. I'm not going to say a unicorn at the position because he's not that, but he's an unusual player, and I think Joe Douglas might covet that. Um, there was a couple players under the wrath threshold that didn't get the elite grade, but they fit every other criteria. And the one that I want to point out is Cordell Volson. I believe he's an interior player, North Dakota State. He had a very low RAS score, but he was a five-year starter in college and a two-time captain. So I feel like although he didn't meet the RAS threshold, the captain threshold is there. So he's just another name, another late-round guy. I projected him. He's probably going to be, you know, day three, late day three guy. So there's tons of offensive tackles out there that – meet their criteria, whether they like them or not. Obviously, I don't know, but they have experience with some of them. So I thought that was interesting. And then the second position that they've drafted multiple of is wide receiver. They have Denzel Mims in 2020 and Elijah Moore in 2021. Uh, Obviously, both, you know, completely different from a a size profile. Denzel Mims is like 6'2", 6'3", and Elijah Moore is barely 6'0", so different that way. But Uh, the similarities in their testing, they had 90th percentile 40-yard dash and three-cone drills. Both their three cones were 6.66 seconds, which was like top three or five at the position for their class. So very high percentile 40 and three cones, so agility drills. And then both of them had over 10 foot in the broad, over 36 in the vert, and 16 or more bench reps. So when you look at those two data points and then you combine the elite RAS scores, I came up with five wide receivers that fit the mold, one that doesn't, and the one that doesn't is a little bit more intriguing than the others, I think. So the the names that I have here that meet the threshold are Calvin Austin III from Memphis, who was a national team player in the Senior Bowl. So the Lions coached him but the Jets got to see him. Bo Melton, Rutgers, he was on the Jets. He was coached by the Jets at the Senior Bowl. So you're starting to sense a trend here, I, I, I assume. Uh, third, Alex mm-hmm. Pierce, Cincinnati, another player who was on the Jets Senior Bowl team. I believe he left the Senior Bowl early. I'm not exactly sure the specifics of why, but, again, another high-rasp player who had great testing. Um, Tyquan Thornton is – Uh, the next one from Baylor. He's the only wide receiver on this list that was not at the senior bowl. Um, I believe he ran the fastest 40 yard dash of all the the wide receivers. So if they covet speed, they might like Tyquan Thornton in like the fourth round. And then last on the list that meets the threshold is Christian Watson, North Dakota state, somebody we've talked about on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Basically he's almost a perfect 10 from an athletic standpoint. Uh, 6'4", 210, 
um, another senior bowl player. This is when I really got introduced to Christian Watson and I got to see more of the route running abilities more so than just, Hey, go run deep and we'll, we'll throw it to you type of thing. He averaged, you know, I think it was like 17 yards per catch at North Dakota state. So it was nice to see him do the little short and intermediate route things. I think he has some things to work on, obviously coming out of the FCS and, you know, not really having a ton of experience, but he's another player that if you want to bet on traits, he's the guy. And then the one wide receiver that does not meet the rash threshold, but he had a 7.80, which very, very close. It's a high, it's like in the high good range, I guess you could say, is Garrett Wilson. And I thought this was the most intriguing because he fits all the other things like Ben Simmons and Elijah Moore did at the testing side of it. Obviously his wrath is a little lower, but this is somebody who's been linked to the Jets at number 10. Uh, I would be an advocate for him to be the pick at number 10. I believe he was just comped today to Robert Woods on NFL Live, and I don't think the Jets have a Robert Woods type. I'm a big fan of Robert Woods, so I think that you know mat- matches up in my mind with what I saw on film with Wilson's to say, hey, that could be a, a top 10 pick. So all in all, I think there's a handful of wide receivers the Jets could target. I've been on the bow train for a while saying the Jets should draft Melton as a slot guy. So just small trends that I think Joe Douglas could continue to look for when he's drafting. And I thought it was interesting enough to do some research, research and share with everybody. Dylan, you absolutely killed that segment. Um, I'll give your voice a little bit of a break here if you want to grab a sip of water. <laughs> but I'm just going to recap here, um, you know, going back to the presser here. Um, you have to say Joe Douglas speaks in fourth tongue and could be, you know, um, may have a future as playing the Riddler in the Batman comics with the way that he puts these little quotes out there that you can either go, you know, one way or the next way with them. Um, really, really interesting stuff here kind of felt like, uh, you know, he was alluding to um, going heavy on the offensive line, and then he puts that out about going after the quarterback, and you're like, okay, now we're going edge. Like, it's confirmed. Like, don't even think about another player. Um, And that's what, you know, makes us all crazy as fans because there's so many different directions that we could go, and it will, you know, it'll be a domino effect on, on where our, you know, path will go throughout the rest of the draft right with this, you know, number four pick here. And, um, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, clearly the Jets' luck is that there is no consensus like, you know, you must have this quarterback if you're looking to take your team to the next level in this draft because if it were, we'd be, you know, we'd have a lot less stress here because it's really unknown which team is going to pull the trigger on a quarterback and then is that going to create, um, you know, more drama and more urgency for other teams to say, oh, man, you know, we were anticipating this guy would slide. And now we're left with, you know, QB, you know, our option B and option C. we got to move up right now to come get this guy. And, um, you know, our luck, which is always bad, we don't seem to have a quarterback like that. A lot of talk about Kenny Pickett, a lot of talk about Malik Willis. People go back and forth on who's QB1. You know, I was kind of thinking that, 
you know, maybe Houston would be the team that would start it off with the quarterbacks here, but there's been a lot of speculation that, you know, they like Davis Mills. I wouldn't feel to be too content with that, um, but mm-hmm. I'm kind of hoping that that's the scenario where they start off the draft with a quarterback, and that gives us even more options for our number four pick. And maybe if somebody wants to come down and take that and give us, you know, a King's ransom, we still got the 10 pick in our back pocket. And then, you know, who knows what kind of package deal that could be for that number four if somebody's desperate enough. But, uh, yeah, it's always exciting to hear those little media segments, you know, the week out before the draft because uh, we try to connect the dots. Um, you know, the best way that we can to, um, you know, figure out what the team's going to do. And then as far as your draft trends here, really, really cool stuff here, you know, finding the players that, you know, the Jets had eyes on from the Senior Bowl. And we have to think that at least one player, if not two players out of their nine selections are going to be from the Senior Bowl. Um, You know, one player that I really, really like, um, that I thought might be in the cards for us was like a Zion Johnson. But, you know, with bringing in Lakeland Tomlinson and hearing all these rumors mm-hmm. about the Jets really liking Icky and going for that tackle position at number four, I just don't see how this is going to, how he fits. Even though some people seem to think that collectively out of this whole offensive line group, Zion Johnson may be the most talented and best offensive lineman out of everybody because he's played oh, I think, sure. every position you know, on the line. And I don't think there's any other player that you could say that's done that. Um, you know, I think Kenyon, um, Kenyon Green is one of the guys I was talking about, um, you know, several weeks ago. I think he's played every position except for center. Um, and that's why I really like that guy too. But, you know, it really kind of seems like the interior aspect of the the line is solidified and it's really the outside tackle positions that are in you know, the biggest questions here. And we've heard rumors that the Jets really like Trevor Penning, and that kind of gives people, you know, um, nightmares about doing that. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, you want to talk about, you know, players like Bo Melton, you know, Rutgers guy, um, could fit that gadget role, return guy, all those things. Definitely somebody that the Jets should consider. Um, I don't know where Bo's going to fall. Um you know, we could assume he's going to be a day three guy, but someone really likes that skill set. He could be a day two guy. Um, right. Or in someone is going to chase the speed. There's always a team that chases the fastest guy in the draft. Sometimes they go a little bit earlier than players that are a lot more um, refined and, and have a little bit, um, you know, they bring a little bit more to the table rather than just raw speed. And we've seen players like, you know, C.D. Lamb, um, you know, fall in the draft. And he clearly was better, in my opinion, than Henry Ruggs. But, you know, teams love speed, and there's always a GM that's willing to take a gamble on the fastest guy in the draft just to see what he could do for their team. And uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, he's another interesting player, Um, not specifically for the Jets, but I'm just curious to see who's going to be the one that takes a chance on that kid. Um, you know, clearly Christian Watson's in, um, I've talked about him before. Um, I think I had him in a mock draft, uh, several weeks ago. So, um, no complaints if that's the way that goes, but, uh, yeah, love these notes, love the draft trends here. Um, you know, got me thinking that, you know, maybe I should, uh, edit my, my mock draft, but you know, it's too late for that now. 
Um, I did after I read all this stuff and did all the research. I went back and I made a brand new mock draft, so I, would, I don't blame you. <laughs> oh, man, keeping it real. And, and Dylan has modified his mock draft, so I don't know where you're going to go on this one, but I definitely am excited um, to see where we go here. So when we talk mm-hmm. about this um, with our mock draft and just want to look here at our topics, I think we've – gone through all of our topics throughout the night here and uh, I think yep. the only thing we really have to do here is submit our uh, is our final mock draft for 2022 and then when we'll end the show um, I got a couple questions for you um, nothing mm-hmm. too crazy I know you can handle it um, but uh, yeah we'll, we'll end the show with just a couple questions maybe a prediction and then we'll, we'll wrap it up so folks we're going to get into our um, final mock draft from Jet Nation uh, on what we think the Jets are going to do. Now, Dylan, when you and I discussed um, some of the players that we have mocked, um, we've spoken about numerous times. So, you heard about um, and bring a little insight on some other players. Um, and if you haven't seen some of the players that we don't highlight for tonight, uh, you have one more night to get your, your film study in. So um, hopefully this is enjoyable for you guys and you're in agreement with us. Either way, it is what it is. But uh, we've agreed that we're going to go through our list entirely, and then we're going to each recap on the four players um, that we want to talk about. So, Dylan, I'll start with my list and you can do your list, and then we will each go back and forth with our highlighted players. Um, and then Perfect. when we're done, we'll, we'll put out the tweets so that um, people can like them, retweet them, or tell us how foolish we are. Lots of fun. Right. <laughs> so let's get it going. Um, going to kick it off here. So, ladies and gentlemen, my final mock draft for the New York Jets is going to start off Kayvon Thibodeau, Edge at number four. We're going to get, we're going to have a couple QB hunters, and we're going to figure out the pass rushing problem of the uh, the last ten years. My next pick is going to be Garrett Wilson, wide receiver from Ohio State. This one's for Zach Wilson and Joe Douglas, saying that we're going to do our best to try to put the most talent around Zach. I feel like that is the direction that they need to do. In the second round, I'm going after N'Kobe Dean, linebacker who has been talked about a lot as a first-round pick but seems to have some injury concerns. So like you said, Dylan, um, some guys, you know, teams are a little skeptical um, and might slide out that first round but still have first-round graded talent. And I think N'Kobe Dean fits that mold. And we've been talking about the linebacker position and we definitely need help there. I think that not only would Dean be, you know, a plug-and-play starter next to Mosley, but he would be a great um, successor after, you know, Mosley's contract expires. Next pick, Kyler Gordon. Uh, that's a corner from Washington. Uh, that, that would be my second second-round pick. And then in the third round, I'm going with Cam Jurgens, uh, center, also a senior bowl member. 
I think that he wouldn't play this year, possibly next year. Um, then I'm going with James Cook, running back out of Georgia. Uh, I think that's the fourth round. And then our next fourth round pick, Dare Rosenthal from Kentucky, formerly from LSU. And then finally for the two fifth round picks, which I believe we don't have a sixth or seventh round pick, it'll be the final two. I'm going with Jake Ferguson, tight end. And then lastly, Smoke Monday, safety to close it out. And uh, Dylan, right back to you for your mock draft. Love it. Love it all. There's so much. I, I can't wait to break that down. That was a A-plus in my book <laughs> as I was listening to that one there. Definitely good. All right. I went a little different with my fourth overall pick. Obviously, if you've been listening to the whole beginning of this show, I've been on offensive tackle. Ike McQuani was my guy. Um, just to play it out a little bit, there's buzz going for Trayvon Walker at one. So that means I think Hutchinson would be a run-the-card-up type of situation for Detroit, keep him in the state. And then Houston is a wild card. They could potentially take offensive tackle. I asked Matt Miller on Twitter if they would take Evan Neal, who I thought they would take, and he said it would be a huge surprise. So I think they're going to lean defense with this pick. So I think that leaves Ikem falling squarely into our lap. So that would be a great start to the draft, in my opinion. Um the number 10 pick and full transparency here. I used the PFF mock simulator because I knew they had Jermaine Johnson ranked as the 32nd overall player and I could steal him at pick 10. This is an absolute luck pick. Um, I, I think if he's there, definitely a run the card up situation. He's been in talks at four. So, and then this is where it gets a little different from Alex. I decided I was going to package the 35th and 38th overall pick and combine it with one of our fifth-round picks, number 146. And I was going to trade it to Baltimore for the 14th overall pick. Uh, Using the trade value chart, I overpaid for the pick by 1.4 points. So I think I did a good job finding compensation. Uh, At the 14th pick, I have them taking Jamison Williams, wide receiver, Alabama. Um, If he didn't have an ACL injury, I truly consider him – even in talks for the number one pick to Jacksonville, I feel like they would want to marry Jamison and Trevor Lawrence and have a young duo for the next 10 years. I think Jamison is still wide receiver one. So at worst he starts on the pup list and similar to Elijah Moore last year, we'll say, Hey, this is going to be our best wide receiver moving forward. So there's a little bit of a break because we don't have any second round picks. So my next third, uh, next pick is at 69 in the third round. I took Nick Cross, safety from Maryland. I originally had a strong safety in this spot, but I switched it to a free safety because I think we need a free safety with the addition of Jordan Whitehead. So Nick Cross comes in, could potentially be the starting safety of the future, learn behind LaMarcus Joyner. He's a highly versatile player, but we'll see. I think if they find a role for him, that might be more beneficial for him. And then moving into the fourth round, I pick 111. I have Pierre Strong Jr. running back to South Dakota State, um, quote-unquote small school guy, FCS guy, 1,600 yards and 18 touchdowns in 2021, killed it at the combine, just absolutely phenomenal testing. Uh, Summer, you know, a little bit split on his scheme that he would fit in, but I think he'd do great with the Jets. So they met with him virtually, and I think 
it makes sense from that perspective that they would choose someone like him. The second of the two fourth over uh, fourth round picks is, a, I guess, a bit of a reach, but somebody I saw at the Senior Bowl, Joshua Williams, cornerback from Fayetteville State, uh, super super lengthy, uh, good, probably a really good perimeter guy if he could get in the right coaching staff and you know refine his technique a little bit because he lacks top end speed with a four five three forty. So. I think if you use his technique and length to his advantage, he'll be a great player at the next level. And then with my only fifth-round pick, because I traded one to Baltimore, I have at 163 overall Haskell Garrett, interior defensive line from Ohio State, senior bowl player again, uh, a one-gap penetrator, a defensive tackle, uh, probably more of a three-tech like a Quinnen Williams as opposed to like a Foley Fadu Coffey or a Jonathan Marshall. But I think due to his size, I think he has a little bit of versatility to come off the corner as like an oversized edge. So, you know, lots of things that they could do with Haskell Garrett. I thought he was pretty productive at the senior bowl, not like one of the standout guys. But, again, we're talking fifth year. I think that was a great pick for the Jets to get some familiarity with. So that's that's all my picks. Um, and okay, I'm looking at your list here, and I want to tweet it out. So, which one did you switch again? Was it your second pick? I'm sorry. I uh, no, everything that's written there is is there. I was just by switch was okay. just the trade, the trade to the first round. Again. Oh, so three okay. first rounders and gotcha, no gotcha. no second rounders. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So you went with Ikea, Ikem, Kenwa. Ooh, jeez, I always butcher his name. Poor guy. Um, <laughs> Aquanu, yep. one, Tr- yeah, Aquanu, thank you. Um, yep. Tremaine Johnson, um, for your second first round pick, we're coming back into the first round for Jamison Williams. Um, At kind 14. of something that we talked about yep. at the top of the show. Um, yep. great, great picks. I love those three right there. I think that's a great start to the draft. Then you're going into the third round with Nick Ross. Your two fourth-round picks are Pierre Strong Jr. and Joshua Williams, and then you're ending the draft with one fifth-round pick um, as a part of your trade compensation with Haskell Garrett. Uh, so yep. really, really good. You touch a lot of position groups here. Um, you know, uh, who's to say, you know, BPA and things like that or, you know, positional <clears throat> need and things like that. Eventually you do have to draft players that you need on your roster. It's a little silly you know, because if you end up with, right. you know, four BPAs in the same position group, that's just not going to be a good draft. Um, but anyway, exactly. uh, let's all uh, go. Yep, go ahead. I was going to say, just all off season, I've kind of been the advocate for sign one, draft one. So I tried to use that mm-hmm. theme as well because I'm not going to, you know, go back on everything I said hypocritically. So I tried to, yeah, just break it down and, attack the positions of need but not overspend at a position I traded up for wide receiver so I felt like taking one late might not be the best course of action fans might think hey why would we trade up when we could just take a couple anyway you know so I tried to mix and match and attack positions of need more so than doubling up right on right on okay so um now we're going to get into a little bit more specifics, and we're going to highlight a few players. Uh, the first player that I'd like to highlight from my draft um, is Kyler Gordon. Um, 
this is a uh, defensive back quarterback coming from Washington, six foot, two hundred pounds. <clears throat> uh, in his career, uh, you know, he compiled ninety-seven tackles, four for a loss, two interceptions, twelve pass deflections, and a forced fumble, and possibly a fumble recovery as well. Um, stats don't jump off the page, but what I really, really liked is number one, he's a core special teamer. I always like guys that, you know, can contribute to that aspect as well. Um, what I really like is his tackling ability. Um, you know, he keeps outside containment. He's very, very sound in the open field. Um, you know, if, if he sniffs, sniffs run, he's going right after it um, and just turns into a missile. Um, he can play man. He can play zone. So I kind of feel that if you're going to be in a Robert Sala's defense, you can't just, you know, be a one-trick pony. You really need to have the, um, you know, mental skills to be able to understand what your responsibilities are and the guys around you. So I feel that being that kind of – having that kind of versatility is extremely important. And uh, in the event that we do not go for the cornerback position in the first round, um, I do think that there's a lot of value in Kyler Gordon, someone that I don't really hear being talked about a lot. But if you do happen to, you know, do some research on him, you'll see that uh, his his play is pretty uh, pretty tough, and I, I think he fits the mold of what Robert Sala might be looking for. Uh, your first highlighted player, Dylan. Yeah. So the first player I wanted to highlight was Jamison Williams. Um, I know we've probably talked a lot about him on the podcast in the, in the past, but I think the fact that they're trading up for him is a big part of it, is why I'm talking about it. Um, and it has to do with Joe Douglas's job security. Um, there's been rumors that if the Jets start 1-4, 1-5, 1-6, have you, that you know Joe Douglas would really be on the hot seat and – Sure, I think a part of me can see it that way. I just don't fully get on board with it. I think Woody Johnson, I'm not going to say Woody Johnson's a smart man, but Woody Johnson is hopefully smart enough to realize that he finally got it right in terms of marrying his GM with his head coach and his quarterback all on a six-year, five-year, really, trajectory together. And to break it down after really a season and a half is what it would be. I think to say that Joe Douglas's job is on the hot seat is a little too much for me. Sure, we can get into the season and Zach Wilson could be a complete bust, and then you can resurface and talk about that. But I think even if the Jets started slow and Zach Wilson was okay, not great, not good, just okay, I think it's enough where he could draft and stash a Jamison Williams. I said it earlier, he, you know, at worst, it seems like he's going to miss the first six weeks. So that means you would put him on the pup list and he's like, you know, mandated to miss six weeks. You also save a roster spot when you do that. So technically they're not losing a player. If he comes back a hundred percent healthy before that pup list date, I'm not sure exactly what the practice rules are, but he can start gaining uh, a chemistry with Zach Wilson early. And that's been kind of a, a trend I've seen is like Jamison Williams is injured. He can't get the, the timing down with Zach Wilson. So it's going to be harder for him to come in mid season and just 
explode right away. If he's healthy before that week six date that people seem to be circling, like Halloween-ish, I feel like it's going to be great when Jamison Williams actually steps on the field and nobody's going to look back and say, wow, those first four weeks were really shitty. Excuse me. Um, But the future looks really great with Williams and more, you know, Davis, if he plans out Barrios. So definitely a fan favorite pick, my personal favorite wide receiver. So I, I just had to highlight that because I wanted to say, I don't think Joe Douglas should be on as much of a hot seat as people want to say. Yeah, you get no argument from me. Um, you know, I we had a way too early uh, dynasty mock draft this year, and Jameson Williams is on my roster, so I am expecting okay. big things from him when he is healthy and he gets deployed. Uh, a little bit of a bonus for me if he ends up being a Jet, but, uh, you know, intrigued with his uh, landing spot, and when he gets to the field, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that said, man, kind of wish I wasn't so uh, naive or concerned about, you know, missing the first month or six weeks of uh, the season, knowing that you're going to possibly have him for four to five years, if not more. Okay. So the next guy that I'm going to highlight here, my third round pick, Cam Jurgens, uh, you know, a senior bowl guy, as you had mentioned earlier. I really, really like the fact that <clears> – <throat> he kind of fits like what we're doing with our zone running scheme. Um, you know, if you're looking to run an offense that's based on heavy run, um, ample amount of screens, some play action, and you need your center to get out in space and uh, be quick and light footed. I think Cam Jurgens brings all of that to the table. Um, you know, being that we do have Connor McGovern penciled in right now at the moment, you know, people are saying, oh, you know, third round's a premium pick, and, you know, that's where we can get starters. Not every draft pick is going to be a starter, and, you know, teams that hit on players in the third to fourth round are usually the ones you hear about within a year or two playing in the postseason. So um, this pick is not only somebody that can come in with depth, but would possibly be an immediate starter for 2023, and in the event that he looks really, really good, we could absolutely, you know, part ways and save a lot of money, um, nearly $10 million by getting out of the contract with um, Connor McGovern um, or, you know, possibly using him as trade bait. Um, you know, a lot of options there when you bring in a player like this. Um, he was one of the fastest um, offensive linemen um, at the Combine. He ran a 4 nine, two which is really good for a big man, and um, also put up 25 reps um, at the bench. So uh, strength, quickness, um, zone running scheme, I think that checks enough boxes for me to warrant um, him to be a possible candidate for the Jets. Up to you, Bill. I was about to give you a little bit of pushback until you said that Cam Jurgens could push Connor McGovern to be the starter this year because I truly believe that. I think Cam Jurgens could come in and create a situation where you would think about cutting, trading, you know, offing with Connor McGovern to save some money because Cam Jurgens could come in and be so good right away. Also, I can't wait for the Jets to draft him so I can buy all the beef jerky he sells 
I have to find the exact website, but if the Jets draft him, I will tweet it out so everybody can go by. I believe it's called Jurgens Jerky, if I'm not mistaken, but it, it's going to be cool. I'm excited for Jurgens. That's so, cool. And, player, and before you get into yours, that is his sure. nickname for all of you that do not know, because at all of his meetings that he was scheduled at the Combine, he had a gift for each of the people he met with, and it was his own beef jerky. So that's his nickname, Beef Jerky. Thank you for bringing that up, Dylan. Back to you. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah, so the next player I want to highlight is my third-round selection, uh, Nick Cross, safety from Maryland. And uh, truthfully, this is somebody I'm a little new to. I studied, you know, a handful of safeties, but I didn't go super deep at the position. But Nick Cross is somebody that's been generating buzz lately. So I did a little research. I didn't, you know, deep dive on the film. I like that he is a free safety mainly. Um he has tons of versatility, though. I think Maryland used him in a ton of different ways where you don't really get a true sense of what his role will be in the NFL. That fits really well with what the Jets' coaching staff is. And, and to elaborate, it's like the Jets' coaching staff, I feel like, loves players that are a blank canvas. And they have traits, and then you can just, work on putting techniques and tools into a toolbox and really refining their game. And I think Nick Cross falls into that category where Saul will be like, hey, I know you did, you know, box stuff, too high, single high, slot match stuff at the college level, but I really like you in this role. Let's just hypothetically say single high, free safety. I like you in this role. I want to put you on repeat, which is something we've heard Salah say numerous times, especially in training camp last year. He wants to get these guys on repeat, doing the same things over and over and over again. You, you look around the defense, you don't really see a, a chess piece, you know, like one of those like movable pieces that can be like an Isaiah Simmons or like what a Kyle Hamilton could mm. be. So that kind of pushes me off the, the Dax Hill, even though I love him, but Nick Cross is a a versatile player who doesn't have a defined strength. And Salah is the type that could get that strength out of him. We've seen them groom high-ceiling DBs before. Uh, Marcan Manuel is the safety's DB coach, and he gets nothing but praise from Salah. So I think a player like Nick Cross, who is kind of that blank canvas with a bunch of, I do this okay, but let's find out what I do great makes me the most intrigued with Nick Cross at 69 overall. Right on. Okay. So that's going to bring me to my third highlighted player. Uh, This one specifically is one of my fourth round picks. This is Dare Rosenthal offensive tackle from Kentucky, Uh, six foot seven, 327 pounds. Um, he's a tall drink of water, very, very long arms, can be a little bit of a mauler when he gets his hands in the right place. Um, that was one thing that I noticed is that, you know, his, um, his, he needs to work on his aim and, and getting into the inside of players, but he does have very, very long arms and quick feet. So even when he doesn't get the right punch, um, you know, he can make up for it with his length and his, uh, quick feet. Uh, but when he does get his hands in the right spot, he can really, really pack a punch. Um, Notice that there was a couple times where they had him involved in uh, the screen game and getting him out into space, and, man, you know, it's just uh, fun when you see one of the big guys, you know, leading the way for one of your specialty guys. 
and uh, can move really, really easily getting to that second level. Um, you know, he's got a hunter mentality, um, finishes play, plays through the whistle, like one of those type of guys. Definitely got to be, you know, a Joe Douglas sour guy. Um, this guy's not hitting the brakes at all. And, uh, you know, besides his good lateral ability, um, you know, I thought he was really smooth in his pass pro. And, uh, you know, if he can refine his technique a little bit, um, you know, like what I was talking about with the hand placement and things like that, um, notice a little bit in his run blocking, he, he was lunging and kind of getting his shoulders um, a little bit past his, his knees. I know, you know, some people like to critique um, body position when they're trying to engage in, in their block. So uh, he needs a little bit of a refinement. That's why I like him specifically in the fourth round. Um, someone to possibly be a project offensive tackle. You know, in my blueprint here, Becton and Fant are one and two. Where they end up, right or left, you know, that's to be determined. Um, but I could easily see Dare Rosenthal coming in to 2023 and then replacing George Fant, whether that be left or right tackle. I assume it would be right tackle. Um, but, yeah, I liked uh, Dare Rosenthal a lot. Um, and it was a little bizarre how he started his career off at LSU, um, got nabbed with a suspension, and then ended up transferring over to Kentucky for his final year and did really well. I mean, he went up against, you know, some really good competition. Um, I think one of the, my favorite games I watched from him was against uh, Georgia. And, um, you know, he went up against Carter. He went up against Trayvon Walker. You know, you got N'Kobe Dean on the field there. Um, a lot, a lot of good, uh, you know, Georgia defensive players there that he had to deal with that day. And then um, probably one of the biggest defensive tackles I saw him get a few good reps on was Jordan Davis. So it just tells you that he's played against some of the better competition in um, at, at the college level. And uh, I think a year of, you know, critique and refinement, he'll be ready to be deployed as a starter in year two. Uh, back to you, Dylan. Yeah, it's a really good pick. I think everybody talks about Darian Kennard being, you know, the headliner from the Kentucky offensive mm-hmm. line. And truthfully, I like Rosenthal and even uh, their center, Luke Fortner, even a little bit better than I like Kennard. Like, I feel like if you're going to take Kennard where he's, you know, slotted to go, why wouldn't you just wait and take his one of their teammates uh, that could be potentially better? So I like the Rosenthal pick a lot. I think he could be a swing tackle depending on how they feel about Connor McDermott in the short term, as well as, you know, yeah, the starter coming in long term. All right. My next pick, moving into the fourth round, I'm highlighting both my fourth round picks here. So the first one is Pierre Strong, running back South Dakota State. I took at 111. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, super productive, 1,600 yards, 18 touchdowns just last year. And then at the combine, he had a 43740 a 10-foot-4 broad and a 36-inch vert. Um, I've heard, I've read tons of reports that say he's a gap power running scheme type of running back. And then I read reports that say he's a wide zone running scheme type of running back. And when I watch him, I think he is more of the wide zone scheme. Maybe I'm looking at it with a, you know, green tinted lens when I watch these players, but I just feel like he's so good at running east to west, finding the hole, cutting, and just using that 4.37 speed to to get out. And I feel like he's a little bit bigger than 
you know, not just a, a size or a speed uh, back per se. Hold on, I'm pulling up his measurables here. Silly me, I didn't have it pulled up. But he is, yeah, 5'11", 207. So he's, you know, a little bit bigger frame as opposed to, the, you know, the smaller, shiftier running back. So he can mm-hmm. pack a punch as well as break away. So when you add the dynamic of Michael Carter, Pierre Strong, it's not so much lightning and thunder, but Pierre Strong would be more of the, the lightning category with some thunder upside. We'll go, we'll go with that. Back to you. Right on, right on. Okay, so my final highlight here, um, going with Smoke Monday. Uh, this is a uh, safety defensive back from Auburn. Six foot three, two hundred pounds. Uh, guy plays with some serious attitude. Um, love the intensity that he brings. He's a hard hitter. Um, the versatility is what I really like about him. The fact that he can play inside the box, like you know that that box safety role, uh, smaller kind of uh, uh, like kind of like a linebacker role. Some people in sub packages like to call it the money linebacker. Um, he can definitely come in and do that. He can contribute as a blitzer um, coming off the edge, and then he's very good at covering tight ends due to that six foot three, two hundred pound frame. Um, just has the physicality to keep up with the the bigger boys when it comes to the tight end group. Um, give you some stats here: 171 tackles, 17 for them um, were for a loss. So he's often you know behind the line of scrimmage. Um, that also goes with six sacks five interceptions, and he has eight pass deflections. But out of those five interceptions, three of them were pick six. So that shows you that he's got good ball skills and he has the ability to turn into a weapon once he gets the turnover. Um, Jets did not have a lot of turnovers last year. A couple defensive touchdowns in the later second half of the season, but the Jets really weren't um, a scoring kind of team um, defensively. And I think that if you end the draft with a player like Smoke Monday, who is also a big-time special teamer, um, he blocked a punt, um, one of the harder hitters, I would say, as a gunner and return coverage, um, really, really can show that speed, come down the field, and just lay the wood. Um, again, I think that that physicality aspect, the turnover aspect, and being able to be versatile in being a coverage guy, a tackling guy, a blitzer, somebody in sub-packages, I think there's too much versatility. He shouldn't be going in the fifth round, but, you know, with the way that the draft goes, a lot of these guys end up falling into the day three category. The Jets have an opportunity here to add more depth to the safety position and get another special teamer on board. I think that that's kind of like one of the blueprints that you will see from the New England Patriots is that they really do very, very well finding rookies for their special teams. And then that's like the cheapest way that you could go about building that third of your, of your team um, <clears throat> with the offense, defense, and special teams aspect. So uh, put in the card for Smoke Monday to end my final mock draft. Probably not going to happen, but we'll just call him one of, you know, Alex's favorites. Back to you for the final highlight, Dylan. Yeah, definitely uh, an intriguing prospect and, one of the best names in this draft class by far. So 
if you were compiling names of just great great prospect names and you wanted to add Smoke Monday to the list, I think he'd be on top there with like Rashad Wild Goose, who actually is a Jet. So right. it's kind of funny. <laughs> my yep. next yep. pick, my last one, my last fourth round pick, Joshua Williams, cornerback from Fayetteville State. Uh, senior bowl players, so I think that <clears throat> adds to the wrinkle of why I chose to draft him here. Also a high RAS player. Uh, not sure if he was a team captain to hit the trifecta, but at the senior bowl, he stood out to me. Uh, he's super long, 6'2 and 7'8, which was 97th percentile historically at the position, and this site dates back to late 80s, so a, a big sample size here. Uh, 32 and 7 eighths inch arms, 91st percentile. So he's definitely a perimeter corner at the next level. Um, definitely a developmental type as well. But again, like I was talking about with Nick Cross, Robert Sala loves Tony Odin, the cornerbacks coach. And I feel like th- at this point, they're going to keep challenging these, you know, positional coaches to get the best out of these late picks so they can you know, at the top of the draft, address best player available wherever it is, and then come back and hit the holes later. And I think Joshua Williams has, you know, a glass ceiling waiting to be broken through, so to speak. Um, not a ton of film out there. Obviously, it's Fayetteville State, small school. I think it's Division Two. So uh, you just look at his um, combine stats: four, five, three. So he lacks the top end speed. But his explosiveness is just off the charts. A 10-3-3 broad, that's 10 foot 4 inches, and a 36-inch vertical. So he has the ability to be explosive. So, yeah, he might not be the best press man corner to mirror and match every single wide receiver, especially in the AFC East when you have guys like Diggs and Hill, Waddle. So... For, for the scheme and the off zone, maybe a little press zone, bump and run with his butt to the sideline, I think Joshua Williams could really excel. And at, at worst, you're getting a day one player who's most likely going to contribute on special teams, which I think if you're looking in the fourth round, that's exactly what you're trying to get out of a player. You look at guys like Nazareth Dean and Sherwood. Sherwood was a starter yeah. technically week one, but Nazareth Dean it was a core special teams player all last season. So I think you you hit the nail on the head if you at least come away with a, a special teams player. So Joshua Williams is my guy. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, we've been lucky to have a couple players like Michael Carter, Bryce Hall, um, uh, Sherwood, you know, fifth, sixth round guys that, you know, uh, due to a very, very talent-deprived roster, ends up getting the starting position um, is probably the realistic aspect to what we're looking at here. But these guys are quality Mm -hmm. players. And, um, you know, it's interesting because every year, you know, we're bringing in new people, so we just figure automatically we push them up the list. But we got to remember that there's year two guys that are looking to uh, solidify themselves as well, and and that's going to change a lot of things when this 53-man roster pans out. So, Definitely excited, and um, I, I like your mock draft a lot. Um, a lot of those picks make a lot of sense for what we're trying to do. And, uh, you know, clearly um, the Jets are going to start with, I believe it's, what, nine picks. Um, who knows if that increases or decreases yep. with trades and things like that. Um, 
you know, part of my mock draft is not only what I think the Jets are going to do, but a couple of these players are players that I really like. You know, um, clearly James Cook. I love to have him as, you know, the one-two punch with Michael Carter and bringing in Jake Ferguson, you know, another tight end, like you said. Let's uh, sign one and draft one where we sign two. I think we should still go out and draft one at the tight end position. Um, so, yeah, it's going to, be, going to be very interesting. Dylan, we're less than, officially less than 24 hours to the mock, uh, to, the fun, to the mock, to the real NFL draft. Um, so definitely excited. So we're going to wrap up the show here. But before we get out of Dodge, just want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Miles Social. Uh, for everything that they do and the support that they give to Jet Nation. Um, don't forget to go to JetNation.com, um, one of the most active uh, NFL fan forums uh, that you will find. That's JetNation.com. You can find Miles Social. Um, if you're a business owner trying to improve your social media status, go to Miles Social and see what they can do for you today. All right, Dylan, so here's a couple questions just to close out the show here. Um, and this is, will the Jets, so will the Jets draft more than one offensive lineman, yes or no? I'm going to say yes, and it's going to be one tackle, one interior offensive lineman. I, I concur. I agree. Will the Jets draft more than one wide receiver in this draft? I want them to but I'm actually going to say no. I think they stick with one and maybe grab a couple UDFAs and maybe a late veteran free agent signing. Right on. I think they're going to use a premium pick on wide receiver. I think they're going to get one guy that they really like. And then, like you said, you know, Camp Bodies, UDFAs will probably where they go for the second position. Definitely an agreement there. And defensively, um, will the Jets go out and draft another defensive tackle in this draft? Uh, I hope so. I know it sounds silly considering we've been <laughs> at the point in our in our fandom where we're like, if they take another defensive lineman, I'm going to pull all my hair out. And I get it. <laughs> Back then, it didn't make any sense when you had the the riches that you did have. And although they do have the positional spending at the line, you know, it's up there. I think if you brought in a tackle late, it'd be okay. But I'm also in favor of Travis Jones or Perrion Winfrey at 38 or 69, respectively. So those are my two guys. But I could see it just being a late guy like a Jonathan Marshall again. Right on. And this is just one that I just came up with right now. Um, I think in the last two years, if they're not, not – the last three years in a row the Jets have made a trade with the Minnesota Vikings at some point. Do they end up making another deal with the Minnesota Vikings um, at some point this weekend? I think it would be really intriguing if the Vikings traded up from 12 to 10 to jump the commanders for somebody. I think that'd be Mm. definitely an interesting point, you know, a reverse of last year where the Jets traded up with the Vikings to grab their guy. So I think that'd be cool, but yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. I think, you know, the Jets have gotten the better of the trades, especially when you consider the Chris Herndon trade that happened. But I think it's very possible Mm -hmm. maybe with the new regime, they stay away from Joe Douglas and his fleecing abilities, but I could totally see it. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's going to happen again too. So, um, 
I guess that'll be my draft prediction. I, I have a feeling that the Jets are going to make at least one trade, if not two. I, I think they're going to make at least two trades in this draft. Um, not sure if it's going to be on day one, but possibly um, day three. I think there's going to be some activity of moving up and down, um, you know, the uh, draft board if certain players, uh, you know, are available for them. So uh, any draft predictions before we uh, call it a night, Dylan? I was really just trying to think of one. Um, obviously, other than my mock draft of predicting three total first-round picks coming up to get whatever position it is, I think my draft – that's tough. Okay, I think the Jets will trade away a player on day two or three of the draft. I'm not going to say who it is. I'm not – you know, who you could think whoever it is. I just I have a feeling like that. maybe that's the course of action. They grab a, a blue chipper in day one or day two, and they say, hey, we can move on from a, a depth guy here with some value. So I think that would be my, my Love it. prediction. Yep. Right on, right on. Dylan, great show. We're just under two hours here. My voice is getting a little bit weak, so I think it's a good time oh, yeah. for us to uh, call it a night. We've got a lot done tonight rumors, new players, our debate. Uh, We talked about the presser. We did some draft trends, thanks to you and your exquisite notes. And we got our final mock draft in. No more mocks. Mock season is over. Sorry, folks. Come back next year. But it is officially (laughs) going to be draft day tomorrow. I'm so excited. Really, really pumped. So this is Alex Rallo signing off also with my great co-host, Dylan Terriman. Love working with you, buddy. Everybody go to JetNation.com, get involved in the forums, send us your thoughts. We're less than 24. We're almost there. Everybody, it's go time. Have a great night, and as always, let's go Jets. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at JetNationRadio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!